The, the TV series Friends, anyone a fan of the show Friends? It's pretty classic, right? Brayden's a, friend, a Friends fan. Um, it, was, it was out in the 90s. I was a kid in the 90s. I remember the show. My sisters liked it. I hated it because uh, they wanted to watch the TV back in the 90s, one TV. But um, Friends, it's a classic. It's, it's lasted uh, the test of time. There's always reruns of this show, Friends. It's picked up, uh, I think it's 62 Emmy Award nominees and won heaps of them, won heaps of awards along the way. It's become this iconic TV series, and we all know it, whether you like it or not. It's, it's a, uh, a well-known series. Um, but why is it so popular? Why is Friends so popular? And I think it's, it's a bit of a modern ideal on human friendships, and it, just, and it resonates with young people. It resonates with young people. You've got six, 20-somethings living and working uh, in New York City, away from their families, but living together as family. Living together, building kind of a family amongst friends. One of the stars of the, sh- of the show, David Schwimmer, once said this in an interview, it's a fantasy for a lot of people, this idea of having a group of friends who become like a family. And I think he's right. I think he's right that for a lot of us, it's a, it's a, it's a dream, it's a fantasy to have friends so close that they're like family. We long for deep human connection, that friends would become family. And the question I want us to think about uh, right now is, is friendship essential? Is friendship essential? Do we need it? Friends offers us this dream, the TV show Friends, this idealist dream of connections that are like family. But is it essential for life? C.S. Lewis, he's written lots of things. He wrote uh, a book or which is really four essays, but it's called The Four Loves. Um, And in it, it's a famous book, um, he says this about friendship. Friendship is, in a sense, not at all derogatory to it, the least natural of loves, the least instinctive, organic, biological, gregarious and necessary. He goes on to say, without eros, romantic love, none of us would have been begotten. Without affection, love of a parent, None of us would have been reared, but we can live and breed without friendship. So if that's the case, does that mean we can dispense with friendship? Does that mean we can get rid of it? Is it essential? Well, the answer as we look at the Proverbs is a loud and clear, no way! You cannot get rid of friendship because Proverbs wants us to know in Sydney in 2023 that true friendship is essential for getting life right. True friendship is essential for getting life right. Why is friendship essential then? Why is that? Why is friendship essential? Well, I think it comes back to the fact that we as human beings are designed, we are made for connection. We are relational by design because we are like our designer. Back in Genesis 1, if we think back to the start of the Bible, we get this cosmic account in Genesis 1 of creation. And in that cosmic account, we read in verse 27, so God created mankind in His own image, in the image of God He created them, male and female He created them. God made humanity to express Him in wonderful, satisfying and fruitful relationship to others. It's more than friendship, but it's not less. And don't miss, He made more than one of us. 
Did you notice that? He made more than one of us to express Him. He made male and He made female. Our God is relational in and of Himself, Trinity in perfect union within Himself. And where to express that relationalness, He's made us to express that. And so then we get to Genesis 2, which is a poetic kind of on-the-ground story of, or version of the story of creation. And the way it's told, it even, even just the way it's told, it elevates the role of human friendship. I want you to notice this. See, it could have told us, Genesis 2 could have said, the Lord made Adam and then he made Eve. But the story tells us that Adam is made and then he's told to get to work. But there's a problem because it's not good. It's not good for him to be alone. And there's no animal that's suitable for him. No, there's a missing piece. And this missing piece is human relationship. It's Eve, it's woman. So right up front, the point is clear. We are designed deeply relational. We are deeply relational because we have a deeply relational maker. The poet William Blake says this, The bird a nest, the spider a web, man friendship. True friendship is essential for getting life right. And you might be thinking, I know all this, I've got a thousand Facebook friends, I've got 2,000 Instagram followers, wonderful. I'd say you're very connected, if that's you. But do you have true friends, true close friendships? Do you know loneliness is emerging, it's looming as this, this great major health crisis of our day? Culturally, we know individualism, it just rules our thinking, it's the air we breathe, it, kind of, it might seem great when you're young, do things your way, but in an ageing and fragmented society, while people are getting older, more people are ending up alone, without family or real connections, it's isolating. One study a few years back concluded uh, that loneliness is as bad as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And more than 30 years ago, Mother Teresa said this, loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. But hey, because we've got social media, we think we've got way more connections to people than any generation before us has. And that's true, yes. We have more connections, but far fewer friends. So Facebook, it doesn't have the answer for us. All those social media connections are actually just making us lonelier. See, the theme for today, the topic for today is a crucial one for us. Because Proverbs says, you're not going to be a wise person... You're not going to lead a wise life unless you have true friendships. True friendship is essential for getting life right. Now, before we dive into those Proverbs that we had read out, it's worth just worth pointing out that we're looking at, uh, we have been looking, we're in a series in Proverbs, right? And we've been going through those first Proverbs, one to nine. We kind of change gears now, and we're starting to hit some, some themes or topics. So we're going to be moving around for the next few weeks and, and around the book of Proverbs, jumping around a bit today. The slides should help you, um, those outlines will help you as well. So, let's get into it, and we're going to be thinking about this. What does true friendship look like? There's five things I want us to see in Proverbs together, that true friendship should be chosen carefully, true friendships are committed, true friendships are caring, they are candid, and they are costly. So, what does true friendship look like? True friendship should be chosen carefully. 
Proverbs 12, 26, we had this one read out. It says this, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Or Proverbs 13, 20, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. What's the point? Be careful who you choose as friends, right? Who you place around you is going to impact you. They're going to shape you. So choose wisely. What's in view here is the type of, of, what type of friendship is a close friendship. So choose your close friends carefully. We will, of course, have friends of different levels of intimacy uh, because we have different friends, but we all need close friends. Proverbs 18, 24, the one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother unreliable friends here. The idea is many friends, many companions versus true friends, a true friend. Many shallow friendships will lead to ruin or the friend that is like family. The point is it's not the quantity, it's the quality of the friendships that matter. The quality of the friendships of your closest friendships is extremely important to the quality of your life. Roman philosopher Cicero said, life is nothing, life is nothing without friendships. And I think he's pretty right. Jesus himself modelled different uh, friendships to us, doesn't doesn't he? He's got his wider disciples, uh, his wider group of followers and disciples in that. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, his friends would have been in that. Then there's the 12 we know about. And then there are three, Peter, James and John, close friendships. Close friendships matter. God designed them for you. He designed you for them. So choose carefully. Who's in your close circles of friends? If you were to draw your friendship map with you in the middle and your closest friends and then maybe your next closest friends fanning out, who would be in those circles? Wisdom says, choose carefully. They will shape your life. Do your friends, your closest friends, help you to become more like Jesus? Do they push you to greater maturity, greater holiness, or do they lead you astray? Wisdom may at times require us to break a friendship or to distance ourselves from a friend. It's good to have many different friends of different people, but our closest and most influential friends should be those who share our highest values. And if you're a Christian, someone who follows Jesus. True friendship is committed. That's our second point. Now, Proverbs 18.24, we just read it, it says this, the one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I've mentioned the contrast here between the many and the few already, but what's also in view here is the commitment of the one over the few. Unlike having endless contacts, but no one you can actually call when you actually need help, Have you ever been in that situation? You actually had no one you could call? That's a terrible thing. Proverbs is exalting to us a type of friend who is committed to you regardless. uh, His commitment to you is more steadfast than family. And we must remember, this has been written in an ancient Middle Eastern context. They valued friendship, they valued family, sorry, more than we. They were very family-oriented, way more than us Western modern people. We can't choose our family... Family ties bind us, and hopefully you've got a great family who are committed to you in every way. 
Proverbs 17, 7 echoes this. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Both are good. A friend that loves at all times and a brother that's by your side. But unlike the family member who we're given, we're, we're joined to by birth, right? A friend's not bound to us. A friend sticks close by choice. They choose to stick close when they don't need to. That's the type of true friendship we see. True friendship is committed. Standing by your side through adversity, through pain, through struggle, through whatever may come. A true friend commits to a true friendship. They choose to stick with you. And I wonder, do you know this type of friendship? A friendship, a true friendship that is committed. I spoke to someone from our service, our congregation, just this week, we were chatting about something, then we started chatting about friendship. And um, he was just reflecting to me his experience of having a friend like this, a friend who was committed to him and his family in a particularly draining and busy time of life. He was raising twins in a busy household, and he, he was telling me about a friend who lived in the eastern suburbs and would often drive over to visit them, would bring a meal would relieve them of some time with the kids so he and his wife could go for a walk, uh, would allow them to go to a doctor's appointment, would make space just for them. In a really tough season of life, he reflected that was such a valuable friendship, a committed friendship. What a fantastic example of true friendship. Committed to being there to support this young family. You know what? We can be that for others. We can be that for each other. It's not always spectacular. It doesn't need to be. It's just, as Al said, it's just turning up. It's just turning up. I wonder, do you have friends like this who turn up for you, who are committed to you? Are you this type of friend for others? Now, you can't be that to everyone, but you must be that for some. The way to have a committed friend is to be a committed friend to others. True friendship is committed, but true friendship is also caring. Proverbs 18 verse 13 says this, To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. True friendship takes time to understand a situation, to understand their friend before leaping forth with action or advice. This is the friend who cares about the details of your life, your feelings, your situation. And the point here is they adapt their behavior to be considerate of you. It's a friendship about the other person, motivated by love, others serving, not self-serving. Do you know that type of friend? I hope you do. This friend who wants to catch up because they're genuinely, genuinely interested in you. They're not just ready to dump their news on you. They want to know about you. They care about you. And we get these Kind of, kind of humorous, but interesting contrasts in the book of Proverbs. I'm going to throw a bunch of them up for us to read. Uh, Proverbs 25, 17 says this, Seldom set your foot in your neighbor's house, too much of you, and they will hate you. <laughs> now, we're a very individualistic society. I don't think we need to just go, oh yeah, that's why I'm not having people over my house. No, let's get into people's houses. Let's, let's get to know each other. Let's be hospitable. But even true friendships have limits, right? Proverbs 27, 14. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it'll be taken as a curse. I wonder what the modern equivalent of that would be. I couldn't sleep, so I decided to mow your lawn at midnight. I don't know. 
I don't know if you'd appreciate that or not. Some of you might. Proverbs 25, uh, 20. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, ouch, is the one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Maybe good, well-intended, maybe, but the wrong time and place. See, the careful friend thinks about what's appropriate, because they're thinking about their friend, not themselves. And the point is simple, isn't it? Don't be so comfortable in your friendships that you're careless in your friendships. Don't switch off and forget to think of your friends. And then there's this one, Proverbs 26, 18 and 19. Listen to this. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. That's crazy, right? This week our staff team were chatting. Dave's going on long service leave, if you didn't know that, in a few weeks' time. We were having a bit of a conversation about what kind of things would we need to call Dave about? Just kind of making a little bit of a, a list of things. Um, there was some, it had to be pretty drastic, like the church burning down, things like that. But you could imagine if we, we gave that call to Dave, Dave, you need to come back, you need to come back. We were only joking. How would he take it? I don't think very well. I don't think very well at all. He's going to Europe, if I didn't say that. So it'd be a long trip back. So humor's great for friendships. Important even, but this type of joking, have a look at it. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death, you're a whisker away from destroying the friendship, the relationship. And if one of those arrows lands, it's going to cause great destruction. Now, I have to admit, I think I'm a slow learner on some of these things. I think I have to learn this again and again, that there is a time and a place for certain things, a time and a place for jokes. And at the heart of the matter is letting care for others dictate how I behave, the context we're in. I don't know about you, but I have a constant need to bite my tongue, to not answer until I've listened properly, to not leap forward and offer advice or a joke or act. Not be a fool, but a friend. And instead, be careful and caring. I need to do that. I need to be a better friend, more aware of the friend, my friend's needs. Are you a type of friend who is caring? True friendship is caring. And do you have friends like this? Because the way to have a caring friend is to be a caring friend. True friendship is caring, but it's also candid, it's honest. Proverbs, that's our next point, Proverbs 27.5, if you're following along, says this, Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. An open rebuke than hidden love. And verse 6, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. There is a friendship that is courageous enough to speak the truth to you when you really need to hear it. A friend who knows you, enough to see that you're doing something self-destructive or dishonoring to God, and they have the courage to raise it with you. These are great friends, true friends. This is true friendship. It's something that's very difficult to do. I know for me, every time I have, need to have a difficult conversation like this, um, there's an internal conversation that takes place before. And that's inside me. And it goes something like this. I don't want to have this conversation. I don't want to do it. I don't want to say this hard thing. I don't want to raise this issue. I don't want to do it. And I, oh, that's the first part of the conversation. And then the next voice 
inside says this question, am I going to love this person enough to have that difficult conversation? Do I care enough? Being honest is difficult, isn't it? If you have a friend who engages you on something, who shares honestly and lovingly in love, it's one of the most courageous things someone can do for you. This is a friend who loves you. Praise God for that trusted friend whose loving words wound us when we need to be wounded. Now, it's in contrast in Proverbs to the flattery of pleasant words with no concern for our well-being, for your well-being. Proverbs 29 verse 5, those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. Now, remember, better an open rebuke than hidden love. We need friends who can look us in the eye. And call us on things we need to be called on. To steer us away from foolish ways. But that can, that can only happen if we know each other. Um, coming up on the slides, a few of friends of mine um, who have become to me closer than brothers. And whose wounds I trust. Uh, these guys, I, um, all but one I met in Bible college. One I grew up with, but we end up going to Bible college at the same time. Um, and at least two of these guys, two are further away, but we meet up once a month, um, we find a time when the kids are in bed, once a month pretty much all we can find, we're in different parts of Sydney, and we meet up, and every time we're about to meet, there's always something urgent, something more urgent, like a talk that needs to be written, a camp to plan, another thing that comes up, but each time we need to remind each other, this is so important, we need each other. And I love and sometimes fear those meetings. Why? Because I know I might be wounded. These men know me. They know the questions to ask me. They know my struggles. They know my sin. There's no secrets. It's too important. Life is too important to have secrets. Now, it's a scary thing to share honestly, to disclose yourself to others, but it's the only way we can have this type of deep, true friendship that Proverbs exalts before us, to be able to say, this is who I really am, warts and all. That's a scary thing, but it's a freeing thing, because I don't have to worry that you'll find me out. You know me. And just a side note, if you're someone that thinks the idea of this, this idea of wounding someone and rebuking them, if that gets you excited, then, and you can't wait to rebuke someone, it might be a good sign you shouldn't, (laughs) if you're thinking that. Um, But all of us need to know others and be known by others. Know others who will love us enough to be honest with us, to help us see ourselves more clearly. It's like the pruning of a tree. Pruning of a tree, it's painful, but it leads to growth, to health, to fruitfulness. Wounds from a friend can be trusted because through them you grow. How do you build these types of honest friendships? How do we do that? I think you you need to permission people, permission your close friends to keep you accountable, saying, hey, ask me these questions. I need you to ask me these questions. We need to talk about some stuff I've never shared with you. Let's catch up. I want you to ask me this. Ask me how my time with God is going. Ask me how my marriage is. Ask me how I'm dealing with my anger, Where, where my priorities are. Am I prioritizing work over relationships? How I'm going with sexual sin? with alcohol, 
with being a steward of God's resources. Whatever it is, all those things are great things to talk about. It might be that after today you think, yeah, I actually need to do that. And I encourage you to do it. Reach out to your close friends, permission them, ask to catch up, permission them to speak honestly with you, ask you questions. Say, I need your accountability. Proverbs says we all need this. We all do. This type of friendship is essential for living wisely. The way to have an honest friend is to start being an honest friend. True friendship is candid, but it's also costly. So one of the reasons, I think we don't have more true friendships like we're hearing about in Proverbs, is that it costs. We feel the cost. We have limited time, limited capacity. All of our lives are lived at such a pace. We're split across so many things, right? Our calendars are full. There's work, family, activities, kids, commitments, everything. It's happening. If if it's not on this urgent, important list, it's not getting done. It's not getting our time and, and energy, right? The type of real friendships we need, they cost. They cost us time. They cost us. No one stumbles into deep friendship, deep honesty, deep commitment by accident. It takes intentional investment into that friendship. I've been thankful that my wife, Kristen, has been away with some women, I think they're tuning in at the moment, from Christchurch, a Bible study group. Um, They're away in Katoomba, and they're getting this investing time into each other for the weekend, which is a wonderful thing. It costs, but it's worth it. Just so you know, the kids and I survived. A little help from KFC and Netflix. But uh, we're, we're here, we're right, Chris. Um, looking forward to Josh's parenting talk next week, so would have been helpful. But friendships cost us. Friendships cost us time. They cost us, and they're worth the investment. A writer named Robert, I haven't even said this guy's name, I've just written it down, but you don't have his name. His name's Robert. Um, his last name's hard to say. He says this, I value the friend for me who finds time in his calendar but I cherish the friend, for me, he does not need to consult his calendar. What's his point? Now, there's nothing wrong with planned time. In fact, we need, we need planned time. If you don't plan time to your calendar, very likely you won't get done. But what's he saying? Give planned time to your friendships. Do that. But don't neglect the opportunities that just arise. Don't neglect the unexpected time to make a new friend to meet up with an old friend when they turn up, to be present in someone's life, maybe start a new friendship when it's unexpected, but maybe they need you. In the words of Thomas Aquinas, a 13th century theologian, he says this, there is nothing on earth more to be prized than friendship, than true friendship. It costs, but it is such a prize. It is so worth it. Invest. It costs us time, but it also costs us forgiveness. To be straight, you're going to stuff up friendships. We all do. Al Stewart, who's coming to speak, he's written on friendship in his book, The Manual, which uh, a bunch of us read as the Men's Book Club, uh, George mentioned before. It's a great book. It's helpful for men thinking about all types of relationships. And Al says this, he says, Forgiveness is the costly decision... Not to seek retribution, but instead to absorb the wrong. And he makes this point that any relationship, any friendship, if it's going to last, needs to be able to forgive. 
That's because we're sinners, right? You're going to let down your friends. You're going to be let down by friends. That's the reality of our selfishness, our sinfulness. One of the costs of true friendship is a willingness to apologize for mistakes and to ask for forgiveness, but also to accept apology and to grant forgiveness when you've been wronged. True friendship costs. Now, wow, we've thought a lot about friendship. Where do we get the power, the ability to have this kind of friendship? As we've reflected on friendship, as Proverbs raises the topic, there's a couple of responses you might have, and I think I felt them as I prepared this. I feel like I want actually true friendships. I want to renovate friendships that should be better, and I want to invest more into those deep, close friendships. No, I don't want mediocre friendships. They're too precious, right? Maybe you feel like that. I hope you do. But it can also be a bit crushing, can't it? It's a high bar. It reminds me of how often I fail to be a good friend. I fail. And the answer to both these longings, the longing for good friendship and the failure, is found in Jesus. He's the perfect friend. See, we long for true friendship and and Jesus demonstrates that he is the true friend. He's candid. He's honest about the reality of your sin, my sin. See, we've rejected God. That separates us from him. My sin, my failure leaves me a natural enemy, not a friend, not a friend of God, but a rejecter of God. And I deserve his judgment. He's straight with us on that. He's committed. He's committed to my well-being. He's demonstrated that in his life and his death for me. He doesn't leave us now. He walks with us through this life. And he bears the cost of forgiveness. So the night before Jesus died, um, he shared this last meal with his friends and he explained to them what had to take place, that he was going to suffer and die. He'd said that before, but he was explaining again what would take place. We read a section of that from John 15. And Jesus told them what would take place. And Peter, a close friend, a close friend of Jesus, um, as Jesus is saying, you will fall away. He said, everyone else will fall away. I will not fall away. I'm a good friend, Jesus. I'm going to stand by you. And Jesus said, no, no, you will. You'll desert me. And Peter declares in Matthew 26, he says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. He's bold, Peter. He jumps in. Only hours later, Jesus is praying in Gethsemane. And he's praying to his father in anguish about what he has to do. He's facing it. Um, what he's, what's he, he's about to go through. And his one request to his friends and specifically to Peter is, stay awake, pray with me. I need you, be a friend to me now. But he couldn't. Hours after promising he'd, st- he'd die for him, he fails him. The next morning, Jesus is seized. His disciples are scattered. It happens, as he said. The Gospels record Jesus' words about Peter denying uh, Jesus, as he predicted, once, twice, and then a third time. Look, read with me the third time, Luke twenty-two, fifty-nine. 59. It says this, about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with them, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was, he was speaking, the rooster crowed. 
And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Like Peter, he wanted to be there for Jesus, but he failed. I'm so often like Peter. I can't meet the standard of friendship that Proverbs holds up for us. You can't meet that standard either. And that is why Jesus went to the cross. Jesus frees us from the burden of failure by being the perfect friend to us. And as the perfect friend, he bears the cost, there is a cost to friendship, the cost of forgiveness of his failed friends. Our sin is a failure to love and honour God, but as we read in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for one's friends. So we don't need to read Proverbs and be crushed. It's, it's good news when we come to Proverbs. The weight of the challenge sets before us is great, but we can be freed, we are freed to live out what Jesus has modelled to us in our human friendships, trying to model Him to others. John 15, 15, we read this as well, Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, because a servant doesn't know what the master's business is, instead I have called you friends. Jesus offers us true friendship, that's a wonderful thing. Because he is the essential friend. He forgives our greatest failures and he meets our greatest longings. True friendship, it's essential for getting life right. Proverbs holds this up for us to see, for us to aspire to. But friendship with Jesus, it's far more essential than any other. Without it, we can't know life, we can't know wisdom, we can't know salvation. Praise God for a friend like Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful that where we fail, you have provided a way for us to be your friend, that you are honest with with us, you tell us where we are, you don't leave us there, Lord, you pay the cost of forgiveness. May you stand by us now as we live in this life. I pray, Lord, as we read Proverbs, that a weight would be lifted and a desire would grow for us to build deep friendships that enrich our lives and help us to live wisely and get life right. Amen.